Well, good morning to you. Let's take our Bibles. Let's go to uh, the, the book of Romans chapter 5 today. We're in Romans chapter 5 verses 1 through 11. If you brought your Bibles, hopefully you've read the passage over before you've come in. There's some notes that you can receive. So if you have uh, your notes, get those out and keep notes. If you're online with us, you could go to our oliveknowles.com. If you don't have the notes, you just click on the sermon notes and you can download a copy of the sermon notes there as well. So we're glad you're here. Amen. Would you mind standing one more time out of respect to God's word? Some of you need to stand up more often in life. So this is why we do that in church to you, you know, but um, it's great to, um, to have respect for God's word. But Romans chapter five, starting at verse one, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have gained access by faith into his grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us. Because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Father, thank you for your word today. Speak to us, I pray. We need to hear from you this morning. And so, once again, oh God, um, quicken our minds and our hearts and help us to uh, be ever so sensitive to the, not only to the words of the preacher, but mostly to the words of the Holy Spirit. So have your way, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. We've, uh, so every sermon I've been starting off with, uh, with our key verse, which is found in, um, in Romans chapter 1, verse 17. It's the theme verse of, uh, of Romans. And it's really important for us to just be reminded of this. Uh, the scripture tells us, for in the gospel, and um, actually it says, I'm sorry, that's verse 16. This is verse 17. For in the gospel, what is the gospel? The gospel is that Jesus Christ, God's son, came and he died on a cross and rose again from the dead. If somebody asks you, what's the good news? What's the gospel? The gospel, in a nutshell, is the cross and the resurrection, he died, he was buried, and he rose again. For in that gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. 
And Paul begins to unpack this in a wonderful way for us. And remember, for the first few weeks that we were in Romans, this is the eighth message in this series so far, um, he talked about the bad news before he talked about the good news. And the bad news came right after verse 17 and verse 18 when he had the, the double revelation that God revealed that not only was a righteousness of God available to us through faith, but he says the wrath of God is also being revealed from heaven. The wrath of God against all wickedness and ungodliness in our world. And so he unpacks that for us. And so there are three areas I want to go and review here. Three things that I want you to see here just to kind of put your head around where we are in Romans chapter 5. First of all, he wanted to make clear that we have a need. The need for justification. What is justification? Justification is when God justifies you or makes you right because of what he did on the cross he makes you right by you putting your faith in what he has done for you. You are justified because of what God has done, not because of anything you have done. And so the need is for justification. All of us need to be justified before God. And so he lays that out. And how does he lay the need out? He says that all of us are sinners. He makes it very clear. No matter if you've grown up a religious Maybe you've grown up in a Christian home. Maybe you grew up in the church your whole life. Or maybe you're the wickedest person that's ever walked the face of the earth. You lied, cheated, stole. You were sexually promiscuous. You, you did all kinds of horrible things that you are ashamed of. Or you're a person that's lived a pretty good life. No matter what category you find yourself in. Ultimately, Paul comes to the conclusion that all of us need justification. We need God to justify us for our wickedness in our life. And so he lays that out. That was the bad news. Then in verse number 21 of Romans 21, there is a change. He begins to talk about the remedy for the need, which is the way of justification. What is the way of justification? It is through his son, Jesus Christ. It is not through the law. It's not trying to be a good person. It's not through good works. It's not trying to, you know, trying to, you know, get, get brownie points with God and try to make sure that the, the categories between doing good and, do, and not doing good are, are higher than one another. He says the way of justice is Jesus Christ. And he lays out in chapter 4, the entire chapter, remember, of chapter 4 was talking about faith. Abraham was justified by faith. He was credited to him, that accounting term, it was accredited to him as righteous because he put his faith in God. He took God at his word and believed him. And what did he believe? That he was going to have children, even though he was incapable of having children. He was an old man married to an older woman whose womb was barren for her entire life. And that word came to, came to Abram and Sarai, and she laughed. And ultimately, God brought the promise because Abram believed it. And God said, I am going to use your life to be, the, to be as, as many as the stars of the sky. And we looked at faith. Today, we are moving into the results of justification. He told us why we need it. I don't know what happened there. Did I do something? I don't know. 
Hey, Alan, whenever you get a chance, come help me. <laughs> um, let me go back. So the results of justification. This, this is what, this is, uh, this is what, what, um, what it was. Uh, so if there is a word, this past week on, um, on, on, um, I'm all distracted now by people kneeling on the stage and running around in these wonderful shirts. I don't know if I, if I hit the off button or something or if it just turned off on its own or, or what. It was weird. Oh, that's loose. Look at that. The power was loose. Here we go. I got it. Back. All right. So the, the results. So this week I was uh, on last Sunday. We had a great Sunday with Vacation Bible School. Sunday afternoon I flew out to Indiana to be with my son. My son was in a championship golf tournament. And he asked me a few weeks ago if I would come out and be his caddy. What is the answer to a dad when a son asks him to go caddy for three days on a championship golf course? Of course, son, I will do that. So I flew out on Father's Day. got to spend um, that evening. I got in late. And then on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, I walked this magnificent golf course. It's called the French Lick. French Lick, Indiana is southwestern Indiana. It was absolutely gorgeous. This golf course is built on top of a giant hill, okay? Now, there's not many mountains in Indiana. There are hills, okay? So this is the hill that this golf course, there was nothing flat on this course whatsoever. It was 95 degrees for three days and 95% humidity. For those of you who don't know what that is like, it's miserable, okay? And um, I lost nine pounds in three days, by the way. Literally, lost nine pounds. I mean, it just sweat came through me. I was drinking a bottle of water every hole, okay? 18 bottles of water I was drinking and not going to the bathroom for another day and a half, okay? So that's how much perspiration was coming up. It was a wonderful time. And, um, and here's me. I'm there. Patrick is my son here. He's getting ready on the, on the, uh, on the, on the, on the practice um, tee there, getting ready for his tournament. And then, and then um, here he is hitting the ball in the third hole, getting ready to go. Now, I say all that because as I was walking this course, I was thinking about this message. And I was thinking about the, the, the life lessons that golf teaches us. For those of you who are golfers, you know, you've ever played golf, and uh, what the Bible says. And one of the greatest words that a golfer loves to hear is when the referee or the ruler or the, or the person who kind of gives a ruling for specific things come along to you and says, you are eligible to get relief. Relief. In other words, your ball has um, landed on a sprinkler head. It landed on a cart path. It landed in a place where you get free relief. You're able to take your longest club in the bag and you're able to put it two clubs away, not closer to the hole, and you're able to find another position that gives you a better chance of hitting the ball onto the green. And so you get relief. And could I just tell you, there were times on, that, on those three days, I was like, Patrick, we need relief here. And it was wonderful when the referee agreed with us, and it was awful when we didn't get relief. 
There was occasions where he was in positions that nobody could get the ball out. I don't care what you had. It was in grass that was this high and a slope that was like this. And I was like, okay, you're going to get this ball out. And it took him three shots to get it out. It's not good as a golfer. But I was thinking about this idea of relief. Relief. Do you know what the joy of relief is? My wife experienced relief last Sunday when vacation Bible school was all done. It was wonderful, but you work, 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 and you finish something. Do you know that feeling of accomplishment, that feeling of relief? Kaylee just finished, and Josh just finished four years of college education. And she walked across the stage and got the the certificate of graduation. And it was like, done. Chris, you're going to feel major relief when you get through what you got to go through this week. It's going to be a sense of relief on the other side. You dread some things as you move into it. But here in in chapter 5, the major emotion that I believe that Paul wants to express to all of us today is is the emotion of relief, of being relieved of something that you do not have to experience, which is the wrath of God. Because we just came through, I mean, chapter 1, verse 18, all the way through chapter 3, Paul says, you know what? You're in a boatload of trouble. You deserve the the very wrath of God. You deserve hell. You You deserve all the consequences of living your life in rebellion against God. Yet God, in his great love, did something for you and for me that when we receive it, we should go, wow, I am relieved. And this is what Paul wants to express to us. He says one word to describe justification is relief. Because you are justified not because of something you have done, but because something God has done for you. So that you do not have to live in an enemy state, in, a, in, a, in an unreconciled state, in a, in a separation state from Almighty God who created you. As one writer says, with the crisis of God's wrath resolved, it's resolved... Through death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the righteousness of God received through faith, the believer must then come to terms with the relief that salvation brings. I've thought about that this week. I was like, I am relieved. I mean, there's a lot of other emotions in life. But the emotion of relief is, I think, one thing that all of us have experienced, you know, when we go through trials, when we go through tribulations, when we go through heartaches, when we go through conflicts, we get to the other end of it and we say, I'm glad that's over. I'm relieved finally. God has relieved us through salvation that is justification. And so 
Paul now wants to talk about this idea. He wants to say, what are the results or the benefits of being justified by faith? We know what the need is. We know what the way was. But now what are the results? What happens in your life and in my life when we put our faith, like Abraham put his faith in God, when we put our faith in Christ, when we receive that gift of salvation, the gift of justification, reconciliation with God. What, what are the benefits that happen in our life? Paul wants to, tell, wants to tell us what those benefits are here in chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. And he says three things. First of all, he says, notice this, therefore, therefore, by the way, every time you see a word therefore, he said something before. In light of what I've just said for you for four chapters now, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, since we have, in other words, he's saying, he's not giving an argument anymore. He's not trying to convince you anymore. He's saying, okay, we are all come to the place where now we have received this faith in Jesus Christ. We've been justified. We've been relieved. We've come to the place where we're like, what is the benefits of that? What's the results of that? He says three things. First of all, you have peace with God. Amen? You have peace with God. Now let's, let's just talk about that for a moment. Notice what he says. Therefore, since we have been justified, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So God says the number one thing you get when you are justified by faith, is you receive peace. What is the peace? What is peace with God? By the way, there's a difference in Scripture between the peace with God and the peace of God. The peace with God is different than the peace of God. And sometimes we confuse those two. Sometimes we don't realize that we always have peace with God, but sometimes we don't have the peace of God. The Bible tells us that we can experience the peace of God through prayer, through thanksgiving, through worship, through, through walking with God, through the trials. As Chris goes through his treatments this week, you're going to experience times you say, Lord, I'm afraid, I'm uncertain. Lord, give me peace in the middle of this situation. That's the peace of God. You're praying for the peace of God. But he says here that you receive peace with God. So let's take a deep dive a little bit on the word peace. First of all, peace, this peace is not based on emotion. It's not based on emotion. He is not saying the peace of God is this tranquil feeling where all of a sudden you're like, Oh, it's so wonderful and gracious. I'm gonna, I want to tell you something. If you're a Christian, you're at times going to feel trouble. You're going to feel heartache. You're going to feel a sense of uncertainty. You're going to sense, sense at times where you're like, God, I don't even know if you're here. And young believers, hear what young believers do. Well, maybe I'm not a Christian anymore. Maybe God left me. Because I don't feel him. We do not base our faith on our feelings. We base our faith on facts. Amen. 
The fact of the matter is when you don't feel it, you are still justified by Jesus Christ and what he has done for you on the cross and by you putting your faith and your trust in what he did for you, you are justified by faith. And that, my friends, sometimes is not a feeling. It's a fact. It's something you decide. It's something you believe. It's something you depend upon. And no matter what's going on in your life, you just say, Lord, it's okay. As I was pushing that cart this week, and I'm just pushing and pushing and sweating and sweating and pushing and pushing and sweating and sweating. And it looked like the whole world was going to hooray because he was hitting it here and here and here and here. I was just like, but Lord, in the scheme of things, all is good because I'm right with you. I'm right with you. In the scheme of things, it's going to be all right. Praise God. I have peace with God and no circumstance in your life can take that away. Amen? So it's not based on emotion. Peace conveys a positive notion of wholeness, health, and well-being. When he talks about the peace of God, he's talking about this idea that this is right. This may not be all right, but this is right. No matter what I'm going through, no matter what's happening, I have peace with God. And because I have that peace with God, he is not my enemy. I am no longer estranged from him. I'm no longer separated from him. I know that he loves me. I know that I'm a child of God. I know that 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 I know, no, 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 that I'm his. There's great peace in that. When you claim it, recognize it, and know it. And so there is wholeness and health and well-being that's found in the word peace. A common Hebrew greeting, by the way, was shalom. Shalom. That was how they greeted one another. Hello. We say hello or hi. The Hebrews or the Israelites or those in, in that culture would say shalom. And it was a word that says, I wish you well. I wish good health on you. I, I, I pray God's blessings on your life. It, it was wrapped up with a theological understanding that God would bless you with his presence and his power. Now that was the peace with God, but it's also the peace of God, the word shalom. By the way, Jesus' favorite term to use after he did a miracle was peace be with you. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. Over 100 times in the Gospels, Jesus said, peace be with you. He calmed the storms. He walked into the, to his frightened group and he said, peace be with you. It's grace in the presence of God in a powerful way. Peace with God means that you are no longer enemies of God, but friends of God. Amen? I want to tell you uh, there's a song years ago that we used to sing, I am a friend of God. I am a friend of God. God is my friend. He doesn't call you a slave. He calls you his friends. He, is, he, wants, to, he wants to have a relationship with you. And that is so awesome. In, in verse number um, 9 and 11, Paul says this, and I'm going to jump, jump down in our scripture here for a second because I want you to catch a few things. He says, since we have now been justified by his blood, 
How much more? Notice the question. How much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? How much more are we saved? That's relief. For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through his death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? In other words, if his death satisfies God's justice for us on our behalf, what does his resurrected life do in you? How much more can God do than just just giving you relief, he actually gives you a brand new life. He actually leads you to a whole new way. Justification is not the end. It's the beginning of this brand new life in God. He says, how much more do you think you're going to get now that you have the life of God in you? Not only is this so, he says, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. The word reconciliation and the, and the idea of peace with God go hand in hand with each other. Because justification, the product that you receive is peace with God, is also being reconciled to God. You know what happens to people that you're not reconciled to? You usually hide from them. You go into a store and you see somebody you've had a conflict with and they're on one aisle. You skip that aisle and go down the next aisle. You, you see the email coming from somebody that has a problem with you and you're like, oh, I don't even want to deal with that right now. Because there is conflict. There's separation. You know that you have lied or cheated or done something to your spouse and you don't you are not looking forward to the day that she or he confronts you it's going to be a difficult conversation but you need to be reconciled well god says i have reconciled you to me through what i have done for you on your behalf which then leads to reconciliation that can come to others this is so cool. Peace with God is the beginning of all relational peace between humans. As a pastor, sometimes I have done my fair share of um, conflict resolution in marriages. Where husbands and wives get to the place where they cannot seem to be reconciled to do life on the same page because of something that's between them. And so they call me up. Hey, pastor, can we come see you? And most of the time, if they are believers in Christ, we can work our way through it. But on occasion, I've had members of my church say to friends of theirs who are not believers, um, go see my pastor. He'll help you work out your marriage. And as I sit with them and listen to them, I realize there's a huge piece missing for them to be reconciled with each other because they are not reconciled with God. And when you're not reconciled with God, it is far more difficult to reconcile with other people, even people you love. So 
Paul is saying to us that this peace with God that you receive as a result of what he has done is the beginning of all. It's not only a, a, a product of this kind of relationship, but this relationship with God, which is now reconciled, gives you now the ability and the strength and the fortitude and the resources to begin to reconcile. That means forgive somebody who's wronged you. That means compromise. That means communicate. That means letting God go of some of the junk in your life so that you can be reconciled with somebody who is a human like you are. And that's why Paul goes on to tell us in so many places things like this. He says, if it is all possible as far as it depends on you, live at peace with... That's a pretty big deal, wouldn't you say? I mean, maybe some, but everyone. I was thinking about, I, I don't say this gloatingly I'm not boasting but I really don't have an enemy there's nobody in my life that I'm like going to bed going oh man I wish I was reconciled with that person all my accounts have been kept up to date now there are, might be people who have a problem with me but I don't have a problem with them Because I've learned over the years to let go of things that I can't control and to do my best to reconcile with people that may have a problem with me to the best of my ability through the power of God in my life. Why? Because I have peace with him. Live at peace with everyone. He says in Romans 14, 17, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to what? That means if you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you do have conflict with somebody else, it is your responsibility to go and try to make reconciliation with them. He says in in 1 Corinthians, he talks about we become ambassadors of reconciliation. It is our duty as people who have been reconciled with God to reconcile with others. We can't say, well, it's not my problem, it's their problem. When they come crawling back to me and they come weeping to me and they come showing their remorse, then maybe I'll extend some grace to them. No. It says that we are to make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. I'll just so you're clear about this, Paul says it in so many other places. He says, make every effort to keep unity of the Spirit through what? The bond of peace. And then over in Hebrews, it says, make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy without holiness. No one will see the Lord. You have the resources because of what Christ has done for you to be at peace with him and to at least begin the process of having peace with others. Anybody come to your mind that you need to reconcile with? Anybody comes to your mind that you have ignored? You know that that difficult conversation needs to be done. It's not going to be easy. Anyone? Well, here's the second benefit. You have access to the grace of God. Notice what he says. Let's go back. Verse 1. 
Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, the first thing, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the second. Through whom, through whom, who is he? Through Jesus and your faith, we have gained access by faith into this grace into which we now stand. It's like, it's like this is a picture of like the temple, you know? And the temple is there and you've got the Holy of Holies. You've got, the, you've got the, the inner court and the outer court and then you've got the yard out there. And you know that when Jesus Christ died, the curtain was torn and the, and the, and the, inner, the inner sanctum was opened wide. And God is saying to you, those of you who've been justified in Christ, I welcome you into the holiest of holiest of holiest of holiest places. I'm allowing you now to have access directly to the grace and love of God in your life in all of its fullness. Access. When I became an employee of Olive Knowles, you know what they gave me? A set of keys. I had access to every closet, every door. And we'd lock a lot of doors around here, let me tell you. And I had access to it. If I were to go to your house, I could not just walk into your house because I do not have access into your house. I am not welcome to just walk in and help myself. You would have to grant me access. And what God is telling us and what Paul says is that when you finally become relieved, you realize that what's available to you is the access to the very throne room of God Almighty. You have access to him 24-7. You can go to him. You can confess to him. You can ask for grace and strength. It's available to you all the time. I don't know about you, but that should bless you. Amen. When I was living in Baltimore and I would go down to Washington, D.C., there were all kinds of buildings that had, you had to have security clearance accessibility to get into. There were some places in Washington, D.C. you could not go into unless you had high security clearances done. To give you the ability to even enter that space. God says, I'm giving you access by faith to a life of grace and love. Access means you are invited to live under the influence of the generous love of God. Can I get an amen to that? The word access is like he's introducing you. He is making it possible for you. This is not something you do. Remember, the justification is what God has done for you. It's what he has done for you. No matter if you're black, white, yellow, pink, male, female, no matter if you've been the worst of sinners or you grew up in the church, no matter if you're a clergy or you're, you're just a brand new Christian, all of us have equal access to God. Wow. I love what N.T. Wright, I put it in your notes. 
he said this. This is an incredible quote. I know quotes sometimes get lost. That's why I put it in your notes so you could go back and read it later. But here's what he says about this access. He says, grace here is almost a shorthand for the presence and power of God himself. As a result of being justified by faith, we are in a state of grace, a status, a position where we are surrounded by God's love and generosity. Invited, I love this portion, invited to breathe it in even as our native air. That's why I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm just, I'm just surrounded by God's presence, his love, his generous, and I'd be driving my car and I'm just, I'm just like in another universe, just praising God. Couple times this week, I was on the golf course and Patrick was over there, and I'm still pushing because I'm usually about 20 steps behind him. And I'm huffing and puffing, but I'm like, God, it's so wonderful. It's beautiful. I see, I see your beauty and your glory and your wonder, and I'm just breathing it in. But literally felt the presence of God. As we do so, we realize that this is what we are made for. That this is what truly human existence are to be like. And that it is to be the beginning of something so big, so massive, so imaginably beautiful and powerful that we almost burst as we think about it. Woo! That's how excited we should get when we think about the incredible grace of God that you have access to all the time. You should have had wrath. <sighs> Glad I don't have that. Wow, look what I do have. See what Paul's doing here? Therefore, since you have been justified, you don't have to deal with the wrath of God anymore. You get to experience his grace. Access granted. You don't get the red. Eh, no, you're not allowed. You can't go in there. You don't have the privileges. You're not special. That's how our world operates. The grace of God, the justification through Jesus Christ, gives us all equal access. Amen. For through him, Paul says, Jesus, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Amen. So what are the benefits of justification? Number one, you have peace with God. Number two, you have access to the grace of God 24-7. The incredible love of God in your life. And number three, you rejoice in your hope in the glory of God. Look what Paul goes on to say here. Let's go back to verses one and two again. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have what? Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the first benefit. Second benefit, through whom we have gained access by faith into his grace, which we now stand. That's the second one. 
We now stand in grace. We live in grace. We walk in grace. We, 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 our existence is all about the grace of God. And number three, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We rejoice. We rejoice. What are we rejoicing in? What is hope? Hope is about a wonderful future. Salvation is not the end. It's just the beginning. It's like, it's like as I look at my future, I look at my existence, I look at eternity, I realize that I am rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God of what God is going to do. But what is hope? What is Christian hope? Christian hope, first of all, is not just wishful thinking. The world has wishful thinking. I was with a few of the guys that were playing golf. And every few of the guys, unfortunately, when the golf tournament was over, there was a big casinos there. And they were going to take their 50 bucks, 100 bucks, 150 bucks or whatever. Now, they complained all about how they didn't have any money. But they were going to take their 50 bucks, 100 bucks, whatever it was, and they were going to go gambling, hoping, wishing that they were going to win. Every one of them came back broke. Hope is not wishful like I just wish that this would happen. I'm going to buy a lottery ticket. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to get my rich uncle is going to send me a million dollars and I'm going to be able to retire for the rest of my life. That is not Christian hope. Okay? Hope is not some wishful idea that you can just fantasize about. And if you think about it long enough and a lot of people think, well, all of a sudden it's going to happen. It's not the hope he's talking about. Christian hope is not just optimism. Now, I'm all for being optimistic, amen? And you know why I'm optimistic? Because I do have hope in Jesus Christ who ultimately knows all things and will bring all things to pass. But it's not just optimism. He says it here, the hope of God inspires in us a bright future, does not disappoint us, for God has poured out his love into our hearts by the means of the Holy Spirit. Our hope is when we look back at what God has done for us on that cross, that he came and he died, he took our place, he rose again from the dead, he sends us to the Holy Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what? Is to come, right? So our hope is in the fact and in the person and the truth of what God has done for us in the past. And if he were to do that in our past, we can imagine because the wrath of God was so awful, then we are relieved that we don't have to experience the wrath of God. We don't have to experience the, the punishment of our own sins. We look into the future and say, if God did that, imagine what he's going to do in the future. That's why I love Christian funerals. I love to be able to stand before families of a loved one and say, he's alive. He's with the Lord. Cancer has no power anymore. Death has no reign anymore. Jesus Christ rose from the dead and they will rise from the dead. That's hope, my friends. None of us have been there yet. 
But our hope is found in what God has done for us. And so he goes on to say in verses 6 and 8, notice what he says. You see, at just the right time, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for who? The ungodly, not for those who are worthy. Very rarely will anyone die for the righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Why am I so confident that the future is bright? Because he loved me. He loved me. Karl Barth, who was a great Swiss pastor, pastored during World War I. And one day, he was getting ready for his Sunday sermon. And he said to the Lord, what in the world can I say to a people whose towns have been destroyed, homes have been destroyed, who've been ravaged by war, and it looks dark and bleak. What can I possibly say? And he comes across Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. And he realizes he can tell them that God still loves them. And there's hope, even in the middle of their darkness. Even in the middle of their darkness. Story is told in World War II of a ship, an American ship, off the coast of Greenland was struck by a German tank I mean a German submarine and it was sinking and the captain said abandoned ship and four chaplains that were on that ship were handing out life vests to sailors as they jumped overboard and they got to the place where they ran out of life vests and those four chaplains took their life vest off and handed it to four other soldiers so they could be saved. And as the boat was going down and they were slipping down, those four chaplains were arm in arm and the sailors testified that they could hear them singing praises to their God, realizing that there were at least four of them who were living because of the sacrifice of those four chaplains. The Congressional Medal of Honor was given to all four of those chaplains and their families, recognizing their sacrifice. Why do you have hope? Because God sacrificed himself for you. That you could have life. That's the hope that we have. Well, Christian hope is not only about the future, it's also about the present. Amen? Because it's this hope that we have for the future that gives us strength in the present. And notice what Paul says. Not only so, not only about the glory of God and the future life that we're all going to have. You know, it's going to be happily ever after and no more sin and no more darkness and no more politics and no more pain and no more suffering. That's all good stuff. Amen? But he says, not only so, but we also rejoice in our what? In our sufferings. Because we know that our suffering produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. 
There are times in your life and in my life I've gone through hard times, trials, tribulations, difficulties, conflicts, things that I do not want to experience ever again. But could I tell you something? If you'll go through those things, keeping your eyes on Jesus and doing the right thing, you will be a better person. God will refine you because he just doesn't save you to leave you the way you are. He uses all things to make you more and better for Christ. And so he says this domino effect. Suffering produces perseverance. You got to stick with it. It's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. You're going to want to give up. Perseverance brings character. Character brings hope. I hate to go back to the golf course again, but there were times after the triple bogey, I'm sure Patrick, my son, said, you know what? I'm just giving up. I'm not going to win. I'm quitting. It's 95 degrees out here and sweating. This is no fun. But what he's learned after years of playing golf is you step up to the tee and you have to hit the next shot and forget the ones behind you. Persevere. You have to stop throwing clubs and blaming other people. You have to stop getting to the place where you give so many excuses for the way you are and start bucking up and facing who you are and asking God to change you from the inside out. It brings character. That character brings hope. Amen. And so he kind of does this Dahmer effect. Suffering produces perseverance, which produces character, which produces hope. In other words, Christian hope is not this kumbaya thing that says, oh, I get saved and life is just so good and wonderful and everything's going to be great and sing kumbaya and Jesus is great and I got no problems. Ain't going to happen, folks, on this side of eternity. Amen? Well, that's enough for the day. I got more, but I don't have time. Come, worship team, would you? Cedric, I'm throwing you a curveball. I want to go back to gratitude. Can we do that? Uh, Julie, we're going to go to gratitude, the third song we sang. Would you um, stand with me? Let's pray, and then let's sing and give praise to God today. Oh, God. Thank you so much for the peace of God, the access to grace, and the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, both now and forever. May we sing praise to you this morning. And if there's anyone here today that needs justification, needs to be saved today, needs to be redeemed, needs to be forgiven, I pray that they would come and receive this great and wonderful gift by turning their life over to you, putting their faith in you. And I pray this in Jesus' name.